Hey, it's great to be back. I was sick last Sunday. Um, man, I was sick. I'm here to tell you. Uh, to my recollection, it's the first time I was so sick I couldn't preach on a Sunday morning. I mean, I was sick. From Thursday night uh, to Sunday night, I hardly moved from the couch. Thursday night, Jenny comes in and looks at me. Man, I'm fevery. I'm achy. I'm, man, I am. Ugh. She said, are you sick? Baby, I'm so sick. I don't know what's wrong. Then here's what she says to me. You want me to put some onions in your socks? <laughs> what? I mean, if I'm a smoked sausage, onion is going to make me better. I'm a preacher. I'm not too sure onions in my socks is going to help. But here's the thing. Jenny's so good, man. Jenny's a fantastic wife. She always nurses me back. So if she would have asked me it again, I'd have probably done it. I'd been sticking those onions right in my side. But anyway, she kind of nursed me back to health. I still don't really understand what the onions were about, but maybe I was hallucinating. I don't know. What I do know is I'm better now, and I'm glad to be back. You know, it's a bit ironic uh, that I was uh, going to preach last week on church health, but I was sick. I don't really know what to do with that. So today, uh, we're going to pick up our study of Colossians. You know, our th the theme of Colossians is standing strong in an age of deception. And so Paul writes uh, to this church uh, in the city of Colossae because they were in danger of kind of drifting away from the truth they had learned. And there were people who were constantly trying to deceive them with false teaching. And so today, we're going to learn that if we're going to stand strong in an age of deception... We have to be a healthy church. Church health keeps us from being deceived about false things in our world. You guys get this? The church in America is sick. Did, did you know that 60% of Protestant churches in America are in decline or dying? And, and I, I get it, man. You hear a statistic like that, and you, that kind of, eh, feels kind of benign, a little far away. Not very, so, let, so let me bring that a little closer to home for you. Um, an assessment was done of 1,200 Baptist churches in North Carolina. Here's what they found out. More than half were in serious decline, and it was determined that they had a five to 10-year window before they would close their doors. Wow. It gets even worse than that. Um, that assessment also discovered this. 70% of people who live in rural North Carolina do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, let that number sink in a minute. What's the problem? How did churches in rural North Carolina become so unhealthy and have so little impact on the people around them? that they would believe that. I think all kinds of things. I think so many churches, especially in rural North Carolina, operate with an unbiblical structure. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. I also think they're inwardly focused. You get this right. If you're inward focused, you'll soon be in fighting. Every time we have uh, our membership class, OBC 101, I ask this question. Um, Raise your hand if you have been a part of a church split or a church that had a serious fight. Every time, almost no exceptions, most of the hands in the room go up. 
You know why? If we're only focused on us, pretty soon we're going to find out we're mad at us. We don't like us. That's not how God designed the church. We're to be outwardly focused. Here's another reason I think churches are so unhealthy. Little or no focus on the next generation. 50% of kids who grew up in church, when they get old enough, they leave and don't come back. 50%. In 2008, we made a huge investment in the next generation here, millions of dollars in reaching kids and, and creating environments that keep them interested in church so that they don't just leave. Now we're doing it again right now. We're investing million dollars, millions of dollars again to do the same thing. And, and here's kind of my philosophy of all that. I, I think you have to start when they're this big. I think you have to start when you're rocking them in, in the nursery where you're praying over them and asking God to use them their whole life, that they'll come to know God at an early age. And then in preschool, where we're teaching them to pray and we're teaching them to know Jesus. And then in elementary school, where, where they really can get old enough to understand and, and accept the truth of the gospel. And then in middle school, man, where they develop a faith of their own. And, and it is a big deal to have programs that are, are really happening. And the same thing in high school. Man, I'm just telling you, there are all kinds of things happening here. What happens on Sunday morning here with our preschoolers, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools? It's unbelievable. Man, if you just walk back in, in our children's area, I say walk back, that's about a mile away right now. I don't know where we're at, man. So pretty soon, you'd be able to just to walk. I mean, it is amazing to watch it. If you came here on Wednesday night, and you watched our middle school and high school ministries. I'm telling you, man, Pastor Ryan, what he does uh, with those switch middle schoolers, it is unbelievable. This past Wednesday night, I listened to him. You know what he taught them about pornography? You think that's a big deal for a middle schooler? You better believe it is. Man, it was fantastic. But to watch them engage and to see how excited these middle schoolers are about being at church. Man, you watch Pastor Kevin with those Clyde students. Man, I'm telling you what. He's going to make them serve. If they stand around, he's going to make them do something. I mean, yeah, he can do this, do that, he can be here, do that. And man, he's going to get them caring about other people, thinking about other people. He's fantastic at that. And I'm just telling you, man, it is incredible what God is doing here from teenagers on down to little tiny babies. Now, let me tell you something. The way other churches respond to what God is doing with teenagers all the way down to babies here, it just blows my mind. I mean, I talk to pastors, and when I tell them, man, everything God's doing, you know, I mean, we start this big, and then we want to make sure those little tiny babies, then when they become preschoolers, they're going to learn this and this, then they're going to build on that, and they're going to be elementary school, then that's going to build into middle school, and that's going to be built into high school, and by the time they become adults, they're going to go out and change this world. But when I tell other pastors about that, you know, you know what most of them say to me? Well, doesn't it bother you that people go to church there for the children's programs? Bother me? That's our strategy. Now, here's what they mean. Well, doesn't it bother you that they don't come to hear you preach? I always think, well, how's that working for you? So, well, that's one response. Here's another response I hear from other churches. 
OBC is just stealing everybody, every other church's kids. Yes. But not because that's our goal. But if you're not going to teach them about Jesus, we are. If you're not going to give them an environment where they can learn and do the things that are necessary to get them excited about what God's doing in his world, we're going to do it. Listen, I am so grateful to pastor a church that defies statistics. Man, you are a Jesus-loving, Savior-serving, truth-embracing, statistics-busting, kingdom-building, healthy body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Listen, God loves you. God is using you. And your faith is changing lives every day. Now, in our text today, we're going to see some marks of a healthy church. What, What that looks like. I'm going to give you four. I could give you 40. This is not an exhaustive list, uh, but these four come straight out of our text today. So let's jump in. Marks of a healthy church. Here's the first one. Write this down. Pastors that are servant leaders. Look, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It's Paul speaking. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. All right, let's take a little quick survey. Uh, when I say the word suffer, what's the first thing that come to your mind? I bet it's not glad. That's what he says. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. Paul's saying, My serving the church has resulted in suffering, but I'm glad to do it. Healthy churches are led by servant pastors. Now, Peter um, gives us a real clear picture of this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at this. And now a word to you who are elders. So um, when, when you see the word elder, shepherd, overseer in the Bible, think pastor. All those words mean the same thing, referring to the same office, the office of pastor. And now a word uh, to you who are elders, pastors, and now uh, a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in the glory when he is revealed to the whole world as a fellow elder. I appeal to you. Then he gives some instruction. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. It's God's flock. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Hmm. All right, now back to Colossians, verse 3. But you get that picture there from Peter, right? I mean, healthy churches are led by pastors who understand they are servants. Then look, look at verse 3 there in First Peter. Uh, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a clown of, crowd of never-ending glory and honor. Look, you can't miss this in the Bible. God calls pastors to lead his church, but they lead with the heart of a servant. Here's a huge reason this matters 
for the health of a church. Almost to a church that I'm aware of, that I would say is unhealthy or dying, that group that have a five to ten year window, almost all of them are led by deacons, not by pastors. It's not a biblical structure, but they've been doing it because they've always done it that way. You can't find it in the Bible. And so it contributes to them being unhealthy. Write this down. Here's some just things to know about what a servant leader looks like. Servant leaders don't whine when ministry is hard. I mean, Paul said, man, I'm suffering for you. Now, I'm not talking about being discouraged. Look, I love pastors. Pastors can be some of the most discouraged people on planet Earth. I talk to them all the time, almost every day. I talk to a pastor somewhere that's discouraged just so I can encourage them. So I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about pastors who do nothing but complain about everything. And I'm just telling you, I know pastors. There are far too many of those guys. There's another thing. Servant leaders also put the church's well-being above their own. Um, Look, a pastor can never put their personal well-being before the well-being of the church. Now, I'm not talking about family. A pastor has to care for his family before he cares for the church. Look, you can't care for God's family if your family's falling apart. So I'm not talking about, you know, I grew up in a world, my dad was a pastor where people told pastors, look, you just care for the church and God will take care of your family. I can't think of anything more unbiblical to tell a pastor. That's a terrible thing to say to a pastor. I'm not talking about that. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pastors who use the church they lead as their own platform to promote their own personal agenda. That's terrible. Uh, Here's another thing. Servant leaders are called by God, not hired to do a job. Uh, Any pastor who's looking for a job rather than obeying a calling, they're going to have a hard life. Uh, Look at John 10, what, what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's, work, he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Man, any pastor who's doing it just because they want a paycheck, they need to stop doing it that day because they're hurting themselves and they're hurting the church. Here's the second mark of a healthy church. Passion to proclaim Jesus. Colossians 1.25. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Now, stop right there. Healthy churches proclaim the entire message of the scripture. Listen, we cannot be silenced because the message is offensive to the culture or difficult to hear. We are responsible for the whole message of God. In Acts 20, um, when Paul was saying goodbye to this church at Ephesus that he loved, and he was probably he was closest to the church at Ephesus than any other church, but you get a real picture of this. Look, look, look what he says. And now, behold, I know that none of you among you who I'm going uh, about, I'm sorry, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about 
Look, look, proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know what Paul's saying? If someone dies and goes to hell, it's not because I was silent. Their blood's not on me. Back to Colossians 1. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Whoa. (laughs) Look, this gospel message of salvation and hope, it's just not a concept. It's not just a theological truth. It is intensely personal. The gospel means that Jesus lives in me. That is huge. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Powerful words. We we warn people. That without Jesus, the full wrath of God will land on them and their eternity will be in hell. We warn people. We teach people why faith in Jesus is the only way to avoid this eternity and instead experience the joy of eternity in heaven. And we don't have to get all wigged out about doing that, proclaiming that, because God gives us all the wisdom we need. Mm. Okay. Let's have a little uh, OBC family, a little heart-to-heart. OBC is an amazing church. But we have a blind spot. There's a part of OVC that really isn't very healthy. You know what it is? It's our passion to proclaim Jesus. Now, now we're very passionate about proclaiming Jesus with each other. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Look, OBC is growing and healthy because we do lots of spiritually healthy things to attract people. I think that is a wise strategy. We'd be fools not to do that. And the truth is, we couldn't even focus too much on outreach up till now. We didn't have the space. You see... uh, Where we are not healthy 
is going to get people who have no interest in what we're doing. Question. When's the last time you intentionally asked somebody about their relationship with Jesus? Question. When is the last time you intentionally invited someone to come to church because you were reasonably sure they don't know Jesus? So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Question. Why do you think God's given us more space? So we can have a little elbow room. Be a little more comfortable. Hmm. This year as a church, I'm going to challenge you to strengthen this weakness we have. To get healthier as a church in this area. This year as a church, we're going to learn to be more intentional about passionately proclaiming Jesus to people who don't know him. Third mark of a healthy church. Dependency on Jesus. Colossians 1.29. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. That's why... What's why? That's why so I can present people to God perfect in their relationship with Jesus. 28. 29. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul says, I work. That's physical it's a word that really means I'm fatigued and I struggle. That, that, that's a word that means agonizing. That this is emotional. So a healthy church works hard. Look, it's not easy. It's long hours. It's hard work. Anybody who thinks all you have to do is show up on Sunday and turn the lights on, they have no idea what goes on here. It's hard work. It's hours of Bible study, hours of prayer. It's hours of counseling and encouraging discouraged people every week. It's uncomfortable conversations and spending hours with difficult people. You won't do that without depending on Jesus. But it's not just the hard work. There, there's, there's an emotional price to being a healthy church. To be a healthy church, 
We have to give our hearts and our emotion to the cause of Christ. We, we agonize over things. We rejoice in things. That's why we rejoice when there are victories and Jesus is glorified and lives are changed and people are delivered. Man, we rejoice in that. That's why we grieve when people don't listen. And they walk away. And you warn them. And you teach them. And you warn them. And you teach them. And you warn them. And you teach them. And their life crashes and burns. And you can see it coming a mile away. But you don't want you to, you don't go, man, told you so. You grieve. It's agonizing. Healthy churches depend on Jesus because we can't be a healthy church in our own strength. You guys get that, right? We can't be a healthy church without the faith that we learn when we depend on Jesus. Here's the last mark of a healthy church. Unity in the church. Colossians 2 verse 1. I want you to know how much I have agonized, there's the word, for you and for the church at Laodicea. Now, the church at, La the church at Laodicea was in a city, Laodicea, near the city of Colossae. Um, we learn a little more about the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation uh, when John described them as a church that was lukewarm and God wanted to bleh, spit them out of his mouth. It was a church that just made God sick because you're not hot or cold. You're just whatever. But at this point, man, they are on fire for Jesus. So Paul says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you in the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. He, he had never been to either one of those cities. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Now, stop right there. A second. That, that, that is uh, an important idea for the church to get a hold of. In fact, look what Jesus said. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, now this is a big deal. Because we get this idea that we love them, love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. If we love them enough, they're going to believe that we're from Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it's not about loving them to prove that we are his. It's about loving each other. What do you think unbelievers think when they see a church fight? There's one more church scandal. There's one more this. There's one more that. There's one more split. There's one more. I'll tell you what they think. Why would I want to be a part of that? But when they see a church loving each other, helping each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other, man, I, I don't know where else I could get that. 
That's different. Back to Colossians, verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Jesus is the plan. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul says, I want them to be encouraged, knit together with strong ties of love, and I want them to have complete confidence. You know what gives us confidence? I mean, in church, I believe there are really about three things that give us confidence. It's the spirit of Christ in us. Man, I'll tell you what, when you get it, it's Christ in me. This is the hope of glory. It's Jesus in me. This is the mystery hidden for all the ages. God lives in me. You know what that does? That gives you confidence. Because when all the world says no, when all the world's pointing a finger at you, and Jesus is saying, I love you. Man, that gives you confidence. Another thing that gives us confidence is the fellowship of the church. I mean, when we're loving each other, we're supporting each other, we're encouraging each other. You, you know, when the, all of that's happening the way it should happen, you know what that does? That gives us confidence to take that message to people who don't know Jesus. And, and then just talking about it gives us confidence. Man, how often does the name Jesus come out of your mouth if you're not in this building? How often do you talk about Jesus? You know what? The more you talk about something, the more confident you are about it. Verse 4. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Bam! There it is. All of that keeps us strong in an age of deception. Verse 5. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. How's that possible? Because it's Christ in us. Christ in him, Christ in him, Christ in him, Christ in Laodicea, Christ in Colossae, Christ in Ephesians. And so our hearts are knit together. I'm telling you this. (laughs) So no one will deceive you, for though I am far away, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should And that your faith in Christ is strong. Boy, now that's a healthy church. It's so encouraging to hear the way Paul describes the unity of the church at Colossae. Hmm. Unity in the church is so important that it's one of the things Jesus prayed for us. Look at John 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, in other words, the ones he was physically with there, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's me and you. I pray that they will be all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
Isn't that amazing? Jesus said two things are going to give us a gospel opportunity with the world. The way we love each other and our unity. (laughs) The way we love each other and our unity. You know something I hear about our church all the time from new people here or people who come and they live someplace else. But I hear this a lot that uh, OBC is such a unique place. OBC is the kind of church that really does act like every church should act. I hear that all the time. Can we please guard the unity God has given us? If you're listening, say amen. Amen. This will be tested. And it will be tested when we least expect in ways we least expect. Satan doesn't play fair. But do you really think in a little town in rural North Carolina. God is doing all this. And Satan's going to leave us alone. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All the forces of hell cannot destroy this church. But we can. And our unity is what protects us. So how do we guard our unity? Real quickly. First, um, always prioritize the kingdom over personal feelings or agendas. Guy told me a story about a church. Um, this guy, uh, his name's Todd Unsker. He's the head of the Baptist State Convention. Wonderful guy, all kinds of brilliant new ideas. And I'm talking to him, and, and uh, he said, one of the things we're trying to do is take some of these dying churches, that most of them have great facilities. And you're down to six people here. Um, can we take this young church planter and put him in here and create a thriving church that was once just dying. And they went to talk to this church about that. They met for weeks and weeks. And finally, everybody in the church, just six of them said, you know what, we want to do that. And they had a church vote. Six people voted. I'm sorry, five people voted yes. One person voted no. And when the vote was over, one lady said, I have the deed to this building in my safe at home, and you're not going to get it. I don't know if that's even legal or not, but when she said that, the other five people said, yeah, we're not going to do this. Yeah, you know, we'll just die. Wow. You know, we main church unity by always prioritizing the kingdom over personal feelings or agendas. Here's another way. Always uh, approach conflict with truth, transparency, and love. Look, every church has conflict. We're no exception. The key is dealing with it in the right way. And we do that with truth, transparency, and love. And you know what? Then those things went out 
God has victory over the conflict. Here's another thing. Encourage a brother or sister every day. <laughs> You'll be amazed what that would do. This simple thing. Just saying, you know what, every day, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a little encouraging text to a brother or sister in our church. So I want to give you one more thing that promotes church unity. It's not in your outline, but I won't charge any extra. Here's what it is. Unselfishly serve people outside the church. Um, I, want to, I want to tell you about a great opportunity we have coming up. We have a ministry, Rockingham Hope, that man gives groceries out to people all that we're feeding so many families who can't afford food. We've had an opportunity recently uh, with a ministry called Reedsville Soup Kitchen. They don't give out groceries, but they serve hot meals. And there's been a faithful little lady who's done it for decades, and she just physically is not able to do it anymore. So we've been taking volunteers over and cooking and feeding those people. And we have an opportunity to continue to do that. But we need your help. So... Man, what a great way to show the world we love each other. We're together enough to feed people a hot meal who need it. If you can cook, if you can serve food, we need your help. Here's what I want you to do. Just take your camera on your phone, hook up with this QR code, and that's going to send you to a form That'll help you, help you know how to volunteer to do that. This is a big deal. This is a way for us to say to the world, we love you. We love each other. We love you. Now, if you say, I don't know what a QR code is, and I have no idea how to get it on my phone. Ted Webster, who is the director of our Rockingham Hope Ministry, will be right here after the service. Just come talk to him. Father, thank you for your great love for us. God, thank you that... We have this incredible truth, this mystery that was hidden from, for the ages. You live in us. And Jesus, that should change us. And when that's our focus, we can't be silent about it. God, you have done so many things in this church to, to make us a healthy church. God, give us all we need to continue to be that, to continue to grow your kingdom in ways that we can never do by ourselves. Lord, we love you, and we're trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and worship.